is an important one. The strength of my heart. I want to begin by asking you, how's your heart? How's your heart? Because the reality is the condition of our heart matters. There was a story. It happened in a fantasy world. A mouse was playing under the bushes when a cat spotted it and chased it all the way to the fields. The mouse was scared to death that it called out for its fairy godmother and asked that it be transformed to a cat. So the mouse became a cat. One day, the same cat was bobbing in the prairie when a dog spotted it and chased it all the way to the woods. The cat was scared to death that it called out for its fairy godmother and requested that it be transformed to a dog. So the cat became a dog. One sunny day, the the dog was searching for food in the woods when a tiger spotted it and chased it all the way to the river. The dog was scared to death that it called out for its fairy godmother and begged that it be transformed into a tiger. So the dog became a tiger. One morning at sunrise, the tiger was prowling in the hills when a couple of native hunters spotted it and chased it all the way to the jungle. Natives make use of tiger skin and fur as their clothing. The tiger was so scared to death that it called out for its fairy godmother and demanded that it be transformed to a native hunter. The fairy godmother firmly replied, I have transformed you from a mouse to a cat, from a cat to a dog, from a dog to a tiger. And now you want to be transformed from a tiger to a native hunter. I can make you whatever you wish to become. But if your heart remains to be a heart of a mouse, you will always live in fear. The condition of my heart, of your heart, matters. This is why Jesus, before He returned to the Father in heaven... He made the statement that he did in John 14, 27, in which it includes a command. And he said this in the ESV, it reads, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Then he said, Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. What was Jesus saying? The condition of your heart matters. And so I'm going to give you a resource called my peace that the world cannot give you. It's a peace that passes all understanding. It's a peace that will cause you to rest in the midst of the storm. It's a peace that will cause you to stand in confidence even in front of a demon-possessed person. It's a peace that will give you a blessed assurance that no matter what circumstance you're going through, God's got you covered. God's got control over the circumstance. And so He's saying, I'm giving you this. I give you it as a gift. But you still got to choose what kind of heart you're going to have. 
Our heart is important. In fact, the Bible uses the word heart primarily to refer to the ruling center of the whole person, the spring of all desires. According to the Bible, the heart is the center not only of spiritual activity, but of all operations of human life. In Strong's exhaustive concordance of the Bible, which is a listing of primary words contained in the King James Version of the Bible, the brain is not mentioned once, whereas the heart is cited 826 times. Our hearts are important. The condition of our heart matters. In fact, the writer of Proverbs, who was considered the wisest man on earth, Solomon, he penned these words in Proverbs 4:23: Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Again, the condition of my heart matters. My heart is important. So this morning, I want to focus on the words found in the book of Psalms, specifically Psalms 73, verses 25 and 26. And I'm reading out of the New King James, Psalm 73, verses 25 and 26. The psalmist here, Asaph, he records these words. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon the earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Now, as some of you are aware, a few weeks ago on a Sunday morning, I was admitted into Kaiser Hospital. The reason being, I was feeling troubled in my heart. I, I just didn't feel right. And so, my wife, she took me and dropped me off and went home and left me there. No, 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 no. She didn't leave till after I told her, honey, I'm going to be here. They're keeping me in. But I remember I was taken and they had a makeshift area outside where they had the, the machines for your vitals and then... Uh, when I told them what was going on, they, they did an EKG on me out there. And then they checked my vitals, temperature, blood pressure, all that. And then they took me into the ER. And in the ER, they had this makeshift uh, triage, tri, tri, triage, triage area. And, and so there were like these one, two, three, four makeshift rooms. And I, mine was on the end over here. And, 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 uh, so finally they put me in there and, and it was about a little after eight that I'm there and, and it wouldn't be till after almost six o'clock that I would be given my own private room. So I was there from eight to six in that ER place and, and, and next to me initially they, they brought in a lady and I, I, I didn't see, I saw her a little bit, but I, I found out she was about 93 years of age and any little movement or poke, she'd be, ah, and she'd scream. And, and then when she was hungry, she started saying things like, I'm hungry right now. And I know I'm, I'm not making fun of her. I'm just telling you, this is how I heard her. Okay. And then she, then she said, I'm going to die. And then the, our, the, uh, the RN said, no, you're not going to die. They're going to feed you. And then they asked for a sample of this and, ah, no. You know, and so I'm dealing with that then. And then two 
the next guy, the guy next to her, I never saw him, but I knew that he was older. He didn't know his name. He didn't know where he was at. But I knew he was a Christian because afterwards he began to sing a worship song in Spanish. And then his son was called back to uh, uh, tell them what was going on. And then the next guy that they rolled in at the last room, I knew that he was in custody. And I knew that because he was bleeping and bleeping and bleeping the cops that had brought him in and I'm okay. And then he's telling them, I know the FBI, CIA, I know what's on their computers. And I was like, oh my goodness. And I was like, Jesus, please come now. Please. Take me now, Lord. (laughs) What? What? So this is all going on. And then the doctors come. What's going on? I said, I don't know. Something's messed up. I don't feel good here. And my heart and all that. And so then they ended up getting, you know, me into a room. And, and let me tell you something about those of you that have been in the hospital. You know what I'm talking about. This was my first time. I'm telling the nurses there. In 55 years of my life, I've never spent the night at a hospital. And like every two hours, somebody was, uh, RN was, a uh, nurse was coming in, checking on me, checking my vital thing. Take this. And I'm like, oh, Jesus. I was even crying out, honey, where are you now? And so there I am. And then finally the next morning, they said, we're going to give you a stress test. And they injected me with something. And then there was a person there, one of the doctors or nurses, and then another person. They were saying, okay, how's his beat? What's going on now that it's in him? And he said, you're going to feel some, something strange right now. And sure enough, my left leg started like, something's come in me. And I was like, oh, I do feel strange. And then they were monitoring what the stress was doing to my heart to make sure that my heart could handle the stress. And here's the point I'm trying to make with that. It is this. The stress to the heart reveals the strength of the heart. Let me say that again. The stress to the heart reveals the strength of the heart. All of us know what it is to experience stress in our lives. And how many times have we desired for the stress to be removed? But it's the stress to the heart that reveals the strength of the heart. What are you saying, Pastor? God allows stresses in life because He knows that if we're going to develop strongly, if we're going to develop solidly, if we're going to develop maturely, we have to have stress in our lives. In fact, when, the, when, when that larvae becomes, goes into a cocoon and, and, and that worm goes in that cocoon and, and is waiting through that process of metamorphosis to become a butterfly, and towards the end of that process, you'll see that cocoon begin to move and shake and then and, and, and someone would be tempted to want to snip and cut it open for that butterfly but to do so would be detrimental to that butterfly it would cause it to experience an early death but because it's that stress that's going on within the cocoon that is actually strengthening that butterfly so that when it does come out of that cocoon it will be able to soar I want you to understand that sometimes the stresses in life may be overwhelming and sometimes you're going to want to have God just remove this process but God is saying no, I'm building you. I'm growing you. I'm developing you. I'm not going to destroy you. I'm going to make you stronger than you thought you could become. The stress to the heart reveals the strength of the heart. Going back to the psalmist Asaph, 
in his, what he wrote there in Psalm 73, verses 25 and 26. Let me do a breakdown of it. Notice he says, both in heaven, on earth. In heaven, on earth. He says, he pens these words, Whom have I in heaven but you? Let me tell you something. When the stresses of life occur in all of our lives, let us be honest. Let us confess. When stress hits our lives, we don't always display or demonstrate the ideal Christian behavior. When stress hits our life, we aren't aren't always at our optimum best behavior. Sometimes we miss the mark. Sometimes we fall short of the standard. And it is then that the accuser of the brethren, identified as the devil in Revelation 12, comes to try to condemn us, try to belittle us, try to make us think you haven't made as much progress as you think you have in your journey with the Lord. And it is in those moments that we can either either give in to His intimidation and give up in condemnation or we can remember I have somebody in heaven who is ready to defend me at this moment. And even in those moments when you're going through stress and people see you at less than your best, they can become like Job's comforters became. They can become, instead of your comforters, your critics. Just like Job, as I've been reading through his book this week, people will begin to look at the snapshot of the moment and judge you by that. Not including the whole of your journey. Not including the time that you have been making progress in your life. And they'll begin to critique you. They'll begin to criticize you. But I want to remind you that the only opinion that matters is the opinion of God. And God is for you, my friend. God is for you, my brother. God is for you, my sister. The devil is against you. The devil wants to destroy you. But God is committed to develop you. The devil wants to create a mess in your life. But God wants to give you a miracle. God wants to give you a a blessing in your life. Who am I? Who, Who have I in heaven but you? And here's what Paul writes in Romans 8, 33 and 34. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for His own? No one. For God Himself has given us right standing with Himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us. And He is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand. Notice, pleading for us. I want you to understand that when you feel all alone and the devil is condemning you and the devil is belittling you and you feel like, man, I'm not the ideal Christian or I'm not making 
I'm not making God look good right now under the stress of my life. I want to remind you, it is at that moment, to, it's time to renew your mind with the reality. Even though I don't feel right because of Jesus, I am in right standing with God. And even though the devil is accusing me in the court of heaven, I'm not alone in the court of heaven. I've got a public defender. I've got a district attorney who's never lost a case. His name is Jesus. Woo! Whom have I in heaven but you? You're not without recourse. You're not without resource. Jesus stands for you. And then for the psalmist Asaph, God was the one that he desired above all else on earth. Notice what he penned. And there is none upon earth that I desire beside you. The story is told of a young student who went to his spiritual teacher and asked the question, Master, how can I truly find God? The teacher asked the student to accompany him to the river which ran by the village and invited him to go into the water. When they got to the middle of the stream, the teacher said, Please, immerse yourself in the water. The student did as he was instructed. Whereupon, the teacher put his hand on the young man's head and held him under the water. Presently, the student began to struggle. The master held him under still. A moment passed and the student was thrashing and beating the water and air with his arms. Still, the master held him under the water. Finally, the student was released and shot up from the water, lungs aching and gasping for air. The teacher waited for a few moments and then said, When you desire God as truly as you desire to breathe the air you just breathed, then you shall find God. The psalmist said this in Psalm 42, As the deer pants or longs for water, so my soul pants for you, O God. You want to have breakthrough in your life? You want to experience God's working in your life? Then make Him the desire of your heart. Because when God is the desire of your heart, then your heart is truly in a revived state. That's why one of the signs of revival is finding one's delight in God. This is why the psalmist wrote in Psalm 85, 6, Won't you revive us again so your people can rejoice in you? You know when you are on fire for God. You know when you can tell that your heart is in a state of revival. It's when, no matter your circumstance, you want God more than anything. No matter what you have in life, it pales in comparison to the delight that you find in God. And then he says, My flesh and my heart fail. The reality is that because of the stresses in life, trials, tribulations, and trouble, our flesh and our heart do fail. The word for fail means to waste away, 
be exhausted. How many of us would be honest to admit that there have been stresses in our lives that had caused us to grow weary? There have been stresses in our lives that have led us to a point of exhaustion. There have been troubles in our lives that have been so overwhelming that we felt we reached our end. That's what the psalmist is attesting to. And it doesn't matter how young or old you and I are. The reality is, all of us, through distresses of life, can come to a point of finding our flesh and our heart failing, finding ourselves exhausted. That's why Isaiah the prophet penned in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 30, Even youths will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion. You just got to live for a little bit and you'll discover trouble that will wear you out. You just got to live for a little bit on this earth and you'll discover trials and tribulations that will leave you weary and overwhelmed and finding yourself feeling, I've reached my end. But here's what I want you to understand. That your weakness, that your weariness, that your exhaustion, doesn't mean that you can't continue to be powerfully used by God. Mm. All of God's giants have been weak men and women. Hudson Taylor, founder of the China Inland Mission, knew the secret of strength through weakness. Complimented once by a friend on the impact of the mission, Hudson answered, It seemed to me that God looked over the whole world to find a man who was weak enough to do his work. And when he at last found me, he said, he is weak enough. He'll do. He continued, all of God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they counted on his being with them. Woo! The psalmist says, My heart, my flesh and my heart fail. But then he continues to pen two very important words. But God. Can you say that? But God. <laughs> this little phrase, but God occurs multiple times in the Bible. More than three dozen, depending on the translation you use. Each time, these two little words reveal that a divine change is about to occur in human lives. But God marks God's relentless, merciful interventions in human history. It teaches us that God does not wait for us to bring ourselves to Him, but that He acts first to bring about our good. It also teaches us the potential consequences if God were not to act. Scripture shows over and over that without God's intervening grace, without the but God statements in the Bible, the world would be completely lost in sin and under judgment. The late James Montgomery Boyce wrote, May I put it quite simply? If you understand those two words, 
but God. They will save your soul. If you recall them daily and live by them, they will transform you completely. Let me tell you, you may be in trouble, but God. You may have been falsely accused, but God. You may have been rejected and mocked by your own family, but God. You may find yourself in a situation that is overwhelming, but God. You may be finding yourself sick in body, but God. You may find yourself in financial straits, but God. I'm here to declare to you today, it doesn't matter what you're dealing with. Remind yourself, but God. Because when God's in the equation, something is going to happen. But God. A story is told during a sermon at church. A story that was told during a sermon at church involved a little boy and his father. The scene was the backyard of their home where the young boy had a sandbox that looked like a small beach enclosure with toys and lots of lots of area to play. While his father looked on from the back kitchen window, his son was playing the way most children played unfettered and very innocently with the imagination and creativity that usually accompanies this age. All seemed to be going very well until the child found a rather large rock in the mix of sand that they, that may have been found or that may have found its way there when the sandbox was delivered to their backyard. With the small red plastic shovel that was part of his toy collection. He tried to move the large stone from the sandbox, pushing and shoving, huffing and puffing as he did so. Well, as you can imagine, the little shovel was no match for the rock and it snapped into two pieces, causing the boy to cry out loud as if perhaps he had done something wrong or maybe out of sheer disappointment in his own attempt to tackle his problem in the sandbox. Immediately his father came out to the yard to attend to his son, picking him up, dusting him off, and sitting at the edge of the enclosure with his pride and joy on his lap. He asked, Son, what happened? The boy tried to explain to his tears what had happened and how sorry he was. Why didn't you use all your strength? came the next question. I did, Daddy. I did use all my strength. No, you didn't, son. You didn't ask me. And with that, with one large grab with his own massive hand, he pulled the stone out of the box and hurled it into a nearby pile of other rocks. CWC Life family and friends, our Heavenly Father is much like the Father in that story. He's always there waiting for you to ask Him for mercy, forgiveness, love, understanding, and all the many other things that we need to keep moving on in our journey. Our God is also full of compassion, never wishing to punish all the, all the sins of a few, and even wanting and expecting that all sinners be converted and live. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 138.3, When I called, you 
answered me. You built up strength within me. The psalmist reminds us that our Lord has always been there for us and never has or will abandon us. And even further, He sent His Son, Jesus the Christ, to remove our sins as far as the east is from the west. All you got to do is call on Him. You don't have to be fearful of being rejected. He will receive you. There's some of you today that you need to know this. There's help for you. God is ready to help you. You don't have to clean your act up. You don't have to try to make yourself better. You simply need to surrender today. Give your heart to Him. And He will change you from the inside out. You say, I've tried, Pastor. I've used all my strength. But like that little boy, the father is saying, no, you haven't. I'm here. Ask me. Ask me. I will help you with the strength that never runs out. And then, the final phrase I want to break down. He pens, the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The strength of my heart. He says, but God is the strength of my heart. That changes things, doesn't it? The strength of my heart is not my willpower. It's His real power. (laughs) The strength of my heart is not determined by how much strength I can muster through my own grit and grind. But the strength of my heart is found in how much strength there is in His abounding grace. How much strength is there in His abounding grace? It's limitless. Woo! It's inexhaustible. It never runs out. The psalmist writes in Psalm 28, 6 and 7, Blessed be the Lord, because He has heard the voice of my supplications. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in Him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoices, and with my song, I will praise Him. Do you need strength in the middle of your stress? Do what the psalmist did. Call on Him. When you call on the Lord, He will strengthen your heart. When you call on Him, you will know Him as strength. You will know Him as shield. You will know Him as support. And He will supply whatever you need. When you call upon Him, you are not helpless. You are not hopeless. You are not today having to worry about what's going to happen when my flesh and my heart fail. No, you are just one phone call away from the strength that will give you the ability to rise, to feel it, the ability to overcome. Call on Him. The Apostle Paul, he was a man who experienced abundance of revelation. In fact, he wrote over a third of the the New Testament and And he points out that there was an occurrence in his life in which he was dealing with what he called the messenger of Satan. 
And he said this messenger was sent because of the abundance of revelations I got. He says that he couldn't handle it. He called it also the, his thorn in the flesh. And he says, he testifies that three times he prayed for God to remove this stress from his life. Notice how it reads in 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. Three different times he says, I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. Why? My power works best in what? Weakness. And then Paul testifies, so now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Woo! That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, I am strong. How can it be when you're weak, you're strong? Because His greatness works in your weakness. His power is perfected, is developed in your weakness. So we, are, we pray, we want God to do a removing job when His intent is to do an improving job in our lives. That's why He's not going to remove the stresses from our lives. We will live stressed lives. We will experience stress in our lives. It's part and parcel of the human experience. But child of God, the difference between you that walk with God and those that are without Christ in their lives is this, that when the stress hits, you've got strength available, strength within reach, strength within that is greater than the stress and a strength that will sustain you a strength that will uphold you a strength that will cause you not to stop but to keep on going a strength that will enable you to keep traveling on this journey with confidence of knowing God is not finished with me He's going to be with me till the end Let me wrap this up with Psalm 27, 13, and 14. The psalmist writes, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And here's his advice. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. And he shall what? Strengthen what? Your heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. How many of you want God to strengthen your heart? He tells us here how to experience it. Wait. Kava, the Hebrew word. It's also used in Isaiah 40, 31. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Kava, the Hebrew word for wait in both passages. Its root meaning includes the meaning to bind or to twist together. When I wait on God in prayer, when I wait on God in reading His Word and meditating, when I wait on God through praise and worship, you know what's happening? I'm being 
tied up, wrapped up in Jesus. <laughs> and when you're tied up and wrapped up in Jesus, you're securely strengthened and supported. When you and I take that time to read His Word, to meditate on Him, to worship Him, there's a time that's happening. We're getting wrapped up. We're getting tied up in Him. And we're being strengthened so that no matter the stress that comes, it can't tear me apart from Jesus. It can separate me from Jesus. I'm safe and secure in Jesus. Woo! So I want you to join me in prayer right now. There's a prayer on the screen right now that I want you to pray with me. Let's pray together on three. One, two, three. Ready? Gracious God, Forgive me for those times when I have failed to see or trust your presence and guidance in my life. Keep me close to you and your promises as I feed my soul with the refreshing and strengthening power of your word. When doubts and fears arise, help me to look to you and your precious promises. I ask this in the name of Jesus, my ever present Savior. Amen. Now, Father, I thank you for what you have spoken to us today. Our strength is found in you. And I pray for those that are dealing with stress in their life right now. Some dealing with stress that seems overwhelming, overbearing. God, strengthen them right now through your power. Strengthen them with might by the power of your spirit in their inner being, I pray. There's some of you today, you need to just surrender your life to the Lord. Say, how do I do that? Call on him. Call on him to save your soul. God so loved that he gave his son so that whoever would believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I told you earlier in this message, you don't have to try to clean yourself up, try to straighten yourself up. You just need to surrender to the one that can make you a new creation and made the sacrifice for you to be made new. His name is Jesus. You know you need him in your life. And you want to be transformed. You want to be changed. You've been longing to be changed in your life. You're tired of being chained by addiction. You're tired of being chained by those things that have been holding you bound. Call on Jesus right now. Just say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I turn from my sin to you, the Savior. Save me now. I believe you died for me and you rose from the grave and you are alive now to plead for me. Thank you that as I have received you, you receive me and make me part of the family of God.
In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. For those of you that are here, and those of you that are watching on live stream, I want you to join with the PW crew that's here right now. And make this song your prayer. Surrender your heart to Him that He can continue to do His deeper work in you.